You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the weekend, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 462 of the Columbia Calling Podcast. This week's very special guest is Andrea González Duarte van der Leeuw, and she is the creator of the foundation. It's a Dutch foundation, but it's here in Medellín called Mi Barrio Mi Sueño. Uh, and so it's a very nice episode about someone who was adopted from Colombia, grew up in rural Holland, and who has returned with her knowledge and with her understanding, of course, with her nationality and the country of her birth, and is giving something back, has put something back to empower women principally in a barrio called La Onda in Medellin. So a very upbeat one. And obviously, I hope that my listeners in the Dutch community, uh, you know, really listen to this one as well, just to hear how, well, it's, it's an upbeat story. It's a good story about that. Who was in Bogota this last weekend? Who was here for the hailstorm, which was quite epic? That was on uh, Sat Sunday, Sunday, and it kind of made a lot of the roads in Chapinero look like they'd been snowed on. So that was pretty cool. I mean, if you were inside and you could watch it from from your windows, that was great. But if you were outside, perhaps enjoying the Ciclovia, perhaps it wasn't so great. And uh, anyway, quite quite an epic, as I said, quite a furious thunderstorm and. And hailstorm that we had on Sunday past. Grace Brennan will be bringing us the news this week, but before we go over to that, what did you think of last week's show with Camila Gonzalez Rosas, uh, expert in diseases, tropical diseases, infectious tropical diseases, something that I just find so very fascinating. We've got some great shows coming up in the pipeline as well. I've recorded a good in, in, a good conversation with Todd Cooley, who's down there in Cali. He's a, an immigrant from, well, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, and is now living in Cali in the Southwest. We've also got David Restrepo, who's an expert on coca. So, of course, the uh, plant used to produce cocaine. We've also got Natalia Pardo, who is one of the country's top volcanologists. And so we'll be talking about that as well, because there has been some news about that. And of course, a few weeks ago, when we had the tremor here in the country, which was 5.9 and felt very strongly all through the country, especially here in Bogota, more so in Bucaramanga, because it was, of course, it came from the Mesa de los Santos. That's where its epicenter was. So we'll be talking a little bit about that. I guess, plate tectonics and all of the rest. And how ready is Colombia for a disaster of this type? Just think of Turkey and Syria and the disasters that have taken place there this year, the absolute tragedy and more than 50,000 people losing their lives. And I think we'll never really know the full uh, tally, unfortunately, there. But uh, how ready is Colombia? So we need to talk about that too, something to discuss. But we'll be, um, we'll be uh, yeah, discussing all of these things as the weeks go on, as we continue to uh, well, 
barnstorm our way through the 10th anniversary year of the Columbia Calling podcast. So incredibly exciting times, isn't it? Incredibly exciting. And I'm glad that you are all here along for the ride. Thank you to those of you who've written messages this last week. It's always appreciated. Uh, Upbeat messages and so on. Uh, positive messages help us continue to move forwards. And of course, if you feel the need or the desire to support the Columbia Calling Podcast, please check us out at www.patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. There are links obviously all over the web. There are links on our website, columbiacalling.co. You can also see uh, links to some of our sponsors there, especially bnbcolumbia.com. If you're thinking of traveling to Columbia and an outfitter to put it together you'll see that on our website too and so we are on we are on we are going on we are as i say i like to say it barnstorming forwards in this our 10th year and so this is episode 462 and now we'll go over to grace brennan in medellin with the news so thank you again for listening and don't go away the columbia calling podcast is sponsored by latin news a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. The Columbia Calling Podcast is also proud to say that we are sponsored by BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator in Colombia, providing a large range of private day tours, transportation and bespoke packages throughout Colombia since 2017. By popular demand, from January 2023, they will be providing exclusive small group shared tours for those aged 50 and over. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a private package of your own, just complete the form on the Columbia Calling website, that's columbiacalling.co, or the Plan My Trip form on the BNB Columbia Tours website, that's bnbcolumbia.com, and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all your questions, and to start the planning of your Columbia adventure. So please support our sponsors, our patrons here on the Columbia Calling Podcast. That's bnbcolumbia.com and latinnews.com. Thank you again. I'm Grace Brennan, and these are your top stories for the week of March 20, 2023. Petro has suspended December ceasefire with Clan del Golfo. The reversal means that military operations against the group have been reactivated. The move comes after unrest due to a mining strike in the Bajo Cauca region, where Clan del Golfo has been accused of attacking police officers and damaging public property. The decision stands in contrast to Petro's Paz Total policy. Coca cultivation rose 35% between 2020 and 2021, according to the UN Office on Drugs and Crime. Despite a drop in demand for cocaine during the pandemic, due to supply disruptions and lockdowns, coca cultivation now stands at record levels, and Colombia continues to dominate cocaine trafficking routes. Reacting to the report, the UN Chief of Research and Trends said that supply has grown in South America as criminal groups take control of areas previously run by the FARC. An explosion across five mines in the municipality of Sutatauza 
last Tuesday killed 21 people. The cause was a combination of methane gas, carbon monoxide and coal dust, which together triggered an explosion in one mine and sparked a chain reaction through four connecting mines. Both formal and informal mining takes place in the area. The mine where the explosion occurred was formal. Petro's government presented a labour reform bill to Congress on Thursday that would reduce working hours and boost overtime pay. The Minister of Labour said that the bill will guarantee the labour rights of nearly 22 million employed people in Colombia. Critics, however, say the measures could hurt job creation. Attorney General Margarita Cabello has accused the Foreign Ministry of inaction around migration at the Darien Gap. Speaking at a press conference, Cabello said human trafficking and illicit trafficking continues across the Darien Gap and that a framework created four months ago to enforce human rights in the area has not been complied with. Heavy rains in the department of Cundinamarca have forced residents to evacuate. 56 municipalities in the department have been affected by emergency landslides, floods and hailstorms. Since the beginning of the year, three people have been killed, 14 homes destroyed and 82 hectares of agricultural land destroyed due to the extreme weather. Days after being inaugurated by President Petro, photos have been released showing the new Las Rosas Highway in Cauca in poor condition. The road is an alternate route to the Pan-American Highway, connecting the south and centre of Colombia after it was blocked by a landslide in January. An inspection is already underway by the public ministry to determine if damage could have been foreseen prior to the execution of the contract. Controversy has ensued around Vice President Francia Marquez for using a helicopter to travel in Colombia. The cost of the transport has been a focal point of the criticism. At the beginning of the year, explosives were planted on the road to Marquez's house in Baile de Coca. She has responded to criticism, saying that the state has a responsibility to provide me with security guarantees. Those were your top stories for this week. Thank you for listening. And we're back. This is the Columbia Calling Podcast. I'm Richard McCall in rainy Bogota. My very special guest this week is Andrea Gonzalez Duarte Vandeleu, and she's in Medellin. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, for those of you maybe who don't get my Dutch accent, you'll have noticed that the first part of her name, Andrea Gonzalez Duarte, Colombian, Hispanic name, and then Vandeleu. Dutch name. Yes. Andrea has an amazing story and is doing incredible work in various parts of Colombia. She has a foundation, Mi Barrio, Mi Sueño. So my neighborhood, my dream, I guess is how we translate. Andrea, we have to start from the very beginning because it's not as if you ended up in Colombia. There is a I would say it's a natural, you know how rivers return to their natural state and their natural direction and flow. This is how I liken it a bit to you. Now, you were given up for adoption. Yeah. uh, And then you were adopted by a family in Holland. So perhaps we can start there. Let's, because this whole story brings you all the way back in a complete circle to Colombia, and it's quite heartwarming, really. So tell us, tell us what you want to tell us about your about your upbringing. 
Okay, well, I am born in Bogota uh, during uh, the late 80s, and um, my mom put me up for adoption, um, and then I was adopted to the Netherlands. Uh, I grew up in Friesland, that's more, nobody knows it, <laughs> it's very the countryside, uh, uh, we have a lot of farmers there, it's nothing compared to Amsterdam or anything, so um yeah, there I grew up. I was basically the only colored kid in the whole town, so <laughs> that was something. Um, but for the rest, I think I had a pretty good childhood. Um, yeah, everything was very easy there. It was Life was very slow because it had a different vibe than now I'm living here in Medellin. So Medellin's like the city life, has a different energy. Um, I... Yeah, I think I think comparing to that is like totally different. Um, however, when I had the chance to leave that place, when I studied, I left right away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I like I like that easygoing and all that kind of stuff. But I need to be honest, it was not for me. Um, right. uh, it was too small. I wanted to discover the world. Um, could not really identify with the people who were there, like even like in how they looked, but also the way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I studied to Groningen, to university there, and oh, that was already better. It was, uh, I did social work there, uh, really liked my time there. And then I started traveling after my studies. Um, and then I think I was, uh, 24, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure anymore. And then I moved to Curaçao. Uh, was one of the Dutch islands. I met there my boyfriend. Uh, he lived already there. He's Dutch, but he, he was working there. And then we lived together there for two and a half years. Um, and that is closer to Colombia. So you could visit Colombia way more easier. Um, what was amazing. And then one time we went to Medellin. And that was for me like, wow, this is nice. Uh, <laughs> don't get me wrong, like Bogota, I love it. I'm I coming from there, but the temperature, it's not, it doesn't do it for me. Sorry, it doesn't do okay, it for me. That's okay. <laughs> so when I came here in Medellin, it had the city vibes, it had a very international uh, community also, but also, I don't know, I like I like the energy here in Medellin, the people are nice, um, and that's why we decided to move to Colombia. Well, there's there's a lot there in in that introduction, and and I think you know I I feel I need to explore right from the very beginning because I do get a lot of um, I get a lot of emails from Colombians adopted overseas, perhaps who were adopted through less than legal means, mm-hmm. uh, and and those who are adopted legally uh, elsewhere and so on, but they want to find their roots. Some of them are not certain whether they want to meet their birth parents or not, or they just want to see the the country of their birth because, of course, there's this overwhelming, overriding uh, question of identity. Like you said, you were in Friesen, Friesenburg, I want to say. Friesland. Friesland. <laughs> All I can imagine is just pastures and pastures and cows. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm imagining there. You yeah. know? And so, as you said, you are the only person of color 
the only sort of uh, in in this area. So you knew from a very young age that you had yeah. been adopted, yeah, and that this was not your you know original home, and yeah. there must have been all sorts of questions. But can we start from the beginning? Is is do we know why you were you were put up for adoption right from the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, so um, my mom, she had four other children and she was in an abusive relationship. So at a certain moment, uh, uh, she was, uh, I was already in her belly, like she was pregnant from me. Yeah. And then um, she made the decision to leave that situation. Uh, so literally she packed all her stuff and left that uh yeah traumatic situation behind but then uh, no education no formal job um four kids uh, alive one on the way what do you do mm-hmm. so um there were complications during when she was pregnant of me and then she went to the doctor and then the doctor said like hey maybe future do you want we want one child and then the idea of adoption came um in her head of, of course she didn't want that she she was looking for other ways she reached out to family to friends but yeah, it was impossible for her yeah. so that was the reason that she was thinking okay i i do not have any other options and i do want to uh have a different life for this child i do not want that she or he is going through the same um, situation. And yeah, that's basically what she made the brave decision. Well, and you you mentioned there are four, you have four siblings. Do you know them? Yeah, yeah. So when I was 19, uh, I did my um, roots journey. I'm not sure if it's the same translation in English, but uh, so I went back to my roots. Um, I found my mom and my brothers and my sister. And how was that? Uh, a roller coaster. It was like <laughs> I, I cannot describe uh, that. It's it was I was nineteen, so I was pretty young. Uh, I think it was a good age to do it um, for me. And uh, I went with with my uh, adoptive parents, so I was with them because I found it very important that they also was a process of mm-hmm. that. You know, the, they are part of my life. They are part of my story. So I really want to to bring them along um it was just crazy because uh as i told you like we come from the countryside i grew up in the countryside and we are very like um we are not hugging each other that much we don't have the beautiful language we don't have that so when i saw my mom for the first time she was all over me uh, emotional saying all those words i didn't speak any spanish at that time so the translator was telling me all those things i was like wow it was so much for me because what i'm saying i never had that that um how do you say that that cariño that that yeah that um how they express themselves that is 180 percent different than how how i was brought up so mm. uh, yeah it was uh, yeah i cannot really say it was this or that it was like ten thousand emotions in one second yeah. i can only you know the whole this whole again very uh, hugs and kisses and the again expressive nature 
yeah, okay, everyone always says the English are cold or maybe the Dutch are cold or whatever. There's just a different way of behaving. It's just a yeah. different way. It's like, there's just a, and I, I, I don't know how you, you could possibly kind of accommodate that because suddenly there's no personal space. Everything yeah. you do, think, wear, eat, space, how you look is in the, public domain yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. um and uh and how how did you feel i mean i guess because i'm imagining the you, you know your brothers your mother come from like a working class background in in bogota so whereabouts did, did you meet them uh we meet, meet them at our place so uh we had like an um airbnb kind of thing yeah. uh so we invited them first there because we didn't want to meet in the restaurant or anything because it's very emotional. A lot of things going on. You also do not know how it, how it goes. Maybe you feel super awkward or I don't know, you know, nobody knows. So I think uh, a private space um, is good. And also we had like the translator translating everything for us. So with also, I didn't want to have other people around. Yeah. So it was my moments, uh, very important. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so where is she's from uh, a a far off barrio of Bogota. Yeah, yeah. She um, now they living in Santa Librada. It's it's very, very it's far. like an, an a barrio. Yeah, and I, one thing that always it would be very interesting to me uh, as a you know observer is how is the relationship between your birth mother and then your Dutch parents, how how did they react? Yeah, very respectful, very yeah. respectful. They hugged each other. They were like, "Thank you for for um, everything you did for to to raise her in the way she is." They were like super proud of me. So yeah, I think uh, they have sometimes contact still. Like uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. On WhatsApp now, everything is easier. Like I mean, when I was nineteen, that's also like thirteen years ago. So. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have all this this uh, WhatsApp and, and all that kind of stuff. So, but they were emailing to each other, um, uh, and always a lot of respect there. So, not not any jealousy or or anything. Um, of course, when all that happened, uh, I traveled with my uh, adoptive parents like one or two days out to get a break. Um, and then we had good discussions like, okay, what's that for you? Is Did my role change in your life? All those kind of things. And we, oh, even if the, the Dutch people were like European or more like cold, we are very open. So we speak a lot about how we feel, what that does to me, uh, how I see that as an individual. So, um, yeah, we had very good conversations about that. It's just, a, you know, a, a very emotional and dramatic story it's very intense that kind yeah. of thing and obviously you had a uh from what i can tell you know a wonderful loving family in holland so yeah, yeah there are the stories that are, are not as nice as yours <laughs> as well uh, uh and do you still have contact then with your with your brothers uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes they visit uh, uh, in my house, or uh, even my uh, niece uh, was here because she was traveling. She said, "Tia, can I stay with you?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course." Nice. So we are. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Nice. 
Nice. And did you have siblings in Holland as well? Or you were the Yeah. Yeah. So you've yeah. got two worlds. Yeah, I have like a whole big family. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a really, I mean, this is a very, very upbeat uh, story. I mean, very, again, as I say, complex for you uh, yeah. indeed. And of course, for your for your parents but on both sides, because you have two sets of parents. Yeah. Uh, have you, have you, uh, I have to ask, have you met your, your birth father? No, no, I am. I am still like debating with myself if I want that. I know uh, the situation why my mom left um, of the abuse and everything. So I'm like, do I want that for me? Is is that adding something to my story? Is that something I I want? I'm not sure. It's still yeah. like in my head somewhere, and I need to think about it. That's you know, I, I again, I'm neither here, here nor there. That was just me being a nosy journalist, um, but. So I think there's there's a lot to say because you went through all of this. You studied social work in, in Groningen University, and so your life channeled itself towards yeah. this return. And you set up Mi Barrio Mi Sueño. It's to help people, obviously, in less uh, fortunate situations. So you have carried some of this with you all of your life there is a complete recognition of that the life that you were you know uh afforded in in holland and you're bringing your knowledge now back to the country of your birth it's it's kind yeah. of incredible how uh how did it come about you have to tell us it's like you know it's like what what was your you know thunderbolt moment is that i've got to stay here and help um I think everything happens for a reason. And with me, my whole story, it's, it's flowing. It's, it's going and it's all went very natural. Like, uh, when we were in, living on Curacao, we, at a certain moment, we had the feeling, okay, we want to move from here. Um, but we don't know exact, exactly where we want to go. And that's why Medellin came. Uh, when we were on holiday, we were like, oh, this is amazing. So let's go here. Okay, let's do it. Because we didn't want to go back to the Netherlands. We were like, okay, that's not for us right now. What do we want? And then I was like, okay, yeah, I also want to discover my culture, where I come from, speak the language and everything. So that's how we came here. And um, that was not directly that I thought like, oh, I'm going to start a foundation or anything. No. No. Um, I started working just in a normal, like normal business and language school, and then I start a social enterprise called Volunteers in Colombia, mm -hmm. and that was to connect international volunteers with smaller local NGOs. Um, because of course, that social work is in me. I wanted to do. Then the idea came like I wanted to do something back. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not sure how. And then through that work of the language school, I saw a lot of people want to give back but could not find the right NGO. Mm -hmm. So that's basically where I created the bridge. Mm -hmm. And um, then we came in a pandemic. And, well, you were here also. Yeah. <laughs> and that was something. And um, when we, oh, in the second week when we were still in the pandemic, it was crazy here. Um, people reached out to me, hey Andrea, can you do something? Because I was working with a lot of NGOs and they were like, Andrea, please can you help us? Can you do something? And then I felt very connected with, I need to do something back. I am now in a position to, mm -hmm. to put in my network into work, um, 
to have a bigger reach. Um, so then I was like, I cannot sit just here in my apartment, do nothing and wait it out. No, that was like a no brainer for me. So I started to collect food packages and give that to different neighborhoods here in Maine. Yeah, because right at the very beginning, when we didn't know what was going on, and we were all being locked into our houses. And then, of course, you know, the the people who are out, who have to walk the streets to earn money, are not earning money, and they're not being able to get any food. So you were making these food packages. And so that's became the formalization of your foundation, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, after that, Give me one second. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so I started to re, uh, uh, collect all the food packages and hand it out to different neighborhoods here in Medellin. I created a map on Google because there were a lot of people who wanted to give back, and I was I was very happy with that. A lot of uh, experts, a lot of nomads, a lot of people, they were like, okay, let's do something. The only problem was that there was no organization in it. Right. So I created Google Maps that everybody could pin in which neighborhood they went so that we knew that not uh, one neighborhood is getting a lot of um, uh, help and the other one not. Mm -hmm. So I, I tried to start to do that, um, share it with everyone I knew who was giving food packs or anything. Mm -hmm. and, and then I came in the neighborhood La Honda. It's La Honda. an... Uh, and um, how do you say innovation? Yeah. Um, uh, and then I met Diego, Diego Baltran, and he has the he has also another organization called Boxe para la Vida, and he was helping me with handing out food packages and start talking. I start talking also to the women and, and children there. Um, and at that moment, next to the pandemic, also a lot of uh, case of abuse, abuse rates, in, especially in those uh, neighborhoods, people were frustrated, they would not know what, what was going on. Um, they thought sometimes we're taking drugs and alcohol, um, and the situation in the homes were not, was not, not, yeah, very bad. Let's keep it there. Um, and that, that hit me of course because of, of of my history i know what my mom has been through uh, all of that abuse and unfortunately for the pandemic it was already there but we heard so many horror stories that we i was like okay i can i cannot let, let this just be and happen and just hand out food bags i need to do something more sustainable um but i'm saying it's that whole situation what happened with my mom that that was so impactful on my life that was the reason i'm adopted um so now i'm back and i'm like hearing this again like 30 years later and i'm like wow you know i it really it really yeah i felt it i felt it in my heart i was like okay i need, I need to to do something and I'm, I'm in the position to do something so then diego came on my path saying that he has a boxing school i was like okay this is it we're gonna do this we're gonna start a women empowerment project called Barrio Boxing was for specially designed for women. Um, we give them boxing classes and social emotional skill training to empower them through the body and mind to be more resilient against this abuse. And that's basically the first project the foundation got. And since then, we already grown with three other projects. Um, yeah, so... Here we are. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you're legally constituted in both Colombia and in the in Holland, so yeah, this is a big so, deal. Uh, yeah, 
<laughs> you can yeah, receive yeah, money, everyone. You can send money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're officially in the Netherlands, and all our projects are here in Colombia. So the boxing classes, these were given to, to women. Yeah. To defend themselves. Um, it goes more ways. Uh, when I was in my teenage years, um, of course, like a lot of emotions were in my body and a lot of things happening there. And I always found my resources through sports. I did a lot of dance and gymnastics. So I knew how sports can benefit your body. Um, and then Diego had this boxing school already. And boxing also shows a very good research on trauma relief mm-hmm. to get that energy that is in your body uh, out in a healthy way. It also shows that it has more, it gives you more confidence in your body. So it's not directly on uh, defending yourself. Yes, of mm-hmm. course, it is a tool, but also to get trust in your body again, yeah. to understand what your body is capable of, but also your mind. Uh, especially in the beginning with the children or with the women, you were like, okay, uh, do punches on the back. But if you have a history of abuse or like domestic or whatever, then and you need to punch the, the back, it, it, it's the traumas in your body, so it, it comes out, and that, that is difficult sometimes for them to to do those kind of things. And we're like, you can do it, go go for it, like like you know. So so that really helps with 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 releasing that that negative energy. Did you in this in this process? You were there accompanying these classes. Did you witness some of the women really? You know, releasing the trauma was that were there were there screams and tears and shouts? Was it really quite uh, impacting? Um, in the beginning, they felt very uncomfortable to do some kind of stuff, and it was laughing and you know, like laughing away and and like that. But we really tried. We are now in the third year of the body boxing program, and we really tried to push it. So sometimes they hit them like I think you can hit harder. So and then we we. we try to really go there so now sometimes i see that anger i see uh, sometimes they need to go out get a breather and, and it's like there's a lot of things coming uh loose so yeah we see that and um and i i think it's a good thing i yeah. really think um look for your limits and discover them and next time you you can have like yeah, your boundaries a little bit more further and you're more empowered and you know what you can. And uh, what we also see, what I'm super proud of is that, for example, now I say, okay, 10 push-ups. I, I do not give the class. Like Diego and Veronica, they are giving the class, but I'm always there. So and then I said, okay, 10 push-ups. They're like, okay, easy. In the beginning, when we said that, it was like, damn, I cannot do that. <laughs> you know, like that. So their mind changed. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's about it's about knowing your body, isn't it? It's about that yeah. again, and the mind and the body coordination, and this all helps. And it empties yeah. one side of the brain for another side of the brain. I know. Yeah. Uh, and so, tell us about some of the other uh, projects. You said you have three projects now. So you've got the boxing yes. one. What else have we got? So in the in the foundation, the Barrio Misueño, we focus on three teams: gender equality. And on the gender equality, we have our barrio boxing program. Then we have quality education, and we provide English classes. English classes are for boys and girls because I think that uh, 
in education, everybody should have access. So we do not want to like exclude one and another. So that's for everyone. And we have uh, also now a new project called Madres del Barrio. And what we are teaching them is a skill to make jewelry. So they make uh, wristbands, earrings, uh, necklaces. And uh, now we are in the first month of the Mothers the Body project, but um, soon we're gonna sell those jewelry. A part is going to the women directly, mm-hmm. and the other part of the proceeds is going to sustain the project. Yeah. Um, and in that program, they also get vocational training. So, uh, yeah. At a certain moment, we hope that they are they can start their own businesses, provide financially support for their families. And, and this is all in La Una, this barrio. La Honda, yeah. La Honda. Yeah. yeah, La Honda. La Honda. Where is that in Medellin? Um, it's in Manrique, Comuna okay. Tres. Yeah. Manrique, so, okay. and we are the up on the mountain. You cannot yep. even go higher. Yeah. yeah, how far are you from a, a teleférico, uh, what they call the metro cable? We don't have one. Uh, uh, that's in, yeah, that's <laughs> in other neighborhoods. <laughs> that's San Javier and all those other places. But um, okay, so yeah, so it's obviously one of the overlooked comunas. Yeah, yeah. So up there on the mountain. And is it one of those that goes up the mountain and then over the other side? No, no, that uh, almost. I give it like some years <laughs> that we are over the mountain, but um, uh, no, we're still uh, facing them. Because it's, you know, Medellin, it just feels that there's nowhere left for the city to go. Um, you know, it's grown so much. Yeah. That now we see these people living on, you know, these houses that just grip somehow on the edge of the hillsides yeah um did you last week well i don't know last week we had the uh, tremor the 5.9 tremor did you feel it yes in the middle of night what's going on (laughs) Four four nineteen in the morning how i you see you know i you know here on floor seven of my apartment building you know i felt very much at the mercy of nature i don't even want to know what someone who's living underneath plastic and branches and corrugated iron rooftops on the edge of a mountainside is feeling you know that's yeah i don't even want to know (laughs) no yeah they they said they felt it uh luckily there were no like uh houses going down or anything like last year there was a mudslide and there were four houses um uh, down. Uh, yeah. Nobody died in that accident, but the problem is it's an um, informal neighborhood, so yeah. they build their houses, they do not own that land, and uh, but they bought it from the guy who was in charge of the neighborhood, so all their investment in that land, then it, it's lost, and they're living under the minimum wage, they do not get a lot of money, and then that happened, and that was horrible. Yeah. And so, in these barrios that you, in this barrio La Onda where you work, are a lot of the people displaced from other parts of Colombia? Yeah, ninety percent of the neighborhood is displaced. Yeah. So, we have um, indigenous reserve there, um, 
and that is for, for the indigenous that, that come out different parts of Colombia. Uh, we have the last years, of course, more Venezuelans in the neighborhood, uh, people from Choco, um, for example, Veronica, one of my boxing teachers, uh, she comes from Batulia. It's a small uh, village here in uh, um, Antioquia. And uh, during, when she was 12, I, I'm not sure who knocked on her door, but there were people who knocked on the door and they said, like, you have one hour. And then they moved with the whole village out of there. And then they come in this kind of neighborhood. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Even the people who I work with, who, I, who work in the foundation, they, they are also displaced. Yeah. So I imagine if you have indigenous, you have the, the, the indigenous people, Emberas, probably displaced uh, a lot from Choco or, uh, and Antioquia. Uh, yeah, but also from um, Puta, Putumayo. Putumayo. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And then Venezuelans, obviously, yeah, we know, and Choco. Uh, I assume people come down from Uraba, that kind of area and so on, because it's still going on, all of these things. We talk yeah. about how, you know, the kind of, Medellin miracle or the Bogota or the Colombia miracle. It's these the the reality is these things continue uh, yeah. today and projects such as yourself have have to work in these areas because you get there more than the state does. Is that's the truth of yeah. it? <laughs> you have yeah. more of a, I suppose, representation and more uh, respect in the barrio than a lot of uh, uh, state entities. Yeah. Don't say anything because you don't get yourself in trouble. I can say it. But it must be a, a, a very heart-wrenching experience to see new families arriving, young yeah. kids in this situation. So uh, incredible work that you're doing, gender equality, education, and this Madres del Barrio, eh, what what exactly are you doing with Madres del Barrio in this in this project? Yeah, so um, the idea came with a friend of mine um, because the Barrio Boxing Project is is amazing. We see so much change. Uh, we see so much positive change. The women build community in in the neighborhood. What's very important because sometimes the moms are became a mom very young so they stay in their house uh the boyfriend is working um so they they are very isolated and people from venezuela especially the mom is just in the house feels a little bit scared um sometimes the situation in that house is not ideally but they do not know where to go so one of the most positive things that uh, Barrio Boxing created was community along with the women that there was trust, that they have like a social network to fall back on. Um, next to that they found their voice, that they know what their rights are. Um, so Luz Nai, she is one of our participants. And at a certain moment, I had the idea to make a wristbands. And then a friend of mine, she said, oh, I want to also start a new business with with, with jewelry and selling that. But I also want that it's making a positive impact. Her name's Annelie. She's also from the Netherlands. And... Then we had, I said, like, hey, I have amazing women here and mothers here in, in the foundation. Maybe we can construct something together. Mm -hmm. And uh, with Luz Nai, I asked Luz Nai, like, I think you do an amazing job. Do you want to be out of that project? 
do you feel comfortable with it? She said, yes, perfect. I definitely want to do this. So we that's what I'm saying. We really work with the people out of the neighborhood because it's it's their their project. I am there just to help and to supervise and to to construct the idea, but at the end of the day, it should be their project. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, it it sounds to me what I'm seeing as a as a common thread, not just your background, of course, but a common thread is is creating community, yeah, and creating a a certain degree of, I would say, as they say in Spanish, apropiación. You mm -hmm. know, these these people they live here, and it's not just about surviving; it's yeah. about living and making a life. And I see I see something else. How connected are you to the Dutch community here in Colombia? Because it's a big um, community, you know. I know, I know. I'm pretty well connected uh, mm. with the Dutch community. Uh, I host events for them. Like on the 24th of uh, March, we have like uh, an event again. Uh, when we just came here, we hosted uh, King's Day. Um, so I, I am pretty like, I, I love it because... Okay. Um, there are like different kind of Dutch people uh, traveling, so and of course it's also nice to uh, to, to share the struggles uh, yeah. when you're in a different country. No, I'm thinking more about this because there's quite a, a high echelon of Dutch community here in Bogota, uh, very politically affiliated, uh, and I think the ambassador has changed, but he used to be about eight feet tall. Uh, mm -hmm. a really yeah. nice guy. He was mm -hmm. so tall. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I know him. Yeah, I uh, I knew him. Yeah. yeah, it's changed. Has he's changed now? I think hasn't he? Is, yeah, yeah. There is uh, someone else. Yeah. Okay, but I was just thinking about that. Now, now uh, you talk about travelers and so on, and you talk about this. That I think this is the key thing here. Now we need to promote your your what you're doing so people can go to the website and make an application and it's well, volunteers in colombia.com exactly yeah volunteers in colombia.com but of course you know you do need to be checked out because you're going to be working probably with children and in barriers so you do need a police report and everything else to ensure that you are the kind of person needed <laughs> 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 But uh, is there a is you know and then you can you can uh, do you have to donate to to uh, to to volunteer to donate to volunteer? Do people have to pay to do people have to pay to volunteer? Well, there are two different things. Like I started as a social enterprise uh, to connect that bridge. So um, the Mi Barrio Mi Sueño Foundation, what I lead, is a pretty small foundation. So we do not have a lot of options for people to be uh, exactly volunteer in the field. Uh, we have these English classes that are run by volunteers. Um, but for the rest, I try to work as local as possible because yeah. also I want to create jobs. Um, so in, if they want to directly uh, volunteer in the foundation, that is possible, but it's more online and uh, the grant writing and all that kind of stuff. But if they want to volunteer in one of our uh, partner organizations, then we provide um, um, a service that we, that we connect the right people to the right organization. And there's an administration fee we ask for. Yeah. Well, that's nothing. I mean, an administration fee is, is a screening process. And it's like, it, again, exactly. it, it's your time as well. And exactly. 
where can people donate, Andrea? Yes. So <laughs> they can go to the uh, to the website volunteersincolombia.com. Then they have a beautiful button that says donate, and then they can donate in different with different kind of ways, okay. um, with different kind of. Uh, uh, yeah. PayPal and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they and they can choose where the money goes or it just goes to a central fund. They can say, I want it to go to the boxing or I want it to go to the Madres del Barrio or that is uh, that is central, but we do have a GoFundMe right now going on because we just started with our Madres de Barrio project and we need uh, start capital to make this to a success. Okay. So we also have a GoFundMe and the GoFundMe called One Bracelet at a Time. And they can donate um, whatever they want, of course. But if you donate more than 12 uh, euros or US dollars, you also get one of our um, uh, bracelets that is made with one of the moms as a thank you. I think that's very nice indeed. 12 euros. That's nothing. <laughs> How much does a Starbucks cost in Holland? The Starbucks in Holland, I have no idea. I think, <laughs> I think almost the same. Like, really, it's almost the same, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. So just, you know, don't have a Starbucks for a day and donate... <laughs> Uh, you know, twelve euros or twelve dollars or whatever. You know, I think you know, I think we've got to support these things. We've got to do this, and I think your story is is so very incredible that it comes in this full circle, not to Bogota, but it comes in a full circle to Colombia. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just like take this moment to say thank you so much for your time and for sharing. I mean, you know, you. it's quite an emotional story. It's not everyone wants to share that story, share what happened, but it is entirely, um, well, it's imperative to how you've, you know, how you've developed as a person and how you've ended up here in Medellin. I mean, that's the truth of it. Uh, yeah. And so the story is is, is fundamental. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I, I, I do think that everybody has a story, like also what you are doing. You you show the world about uh, about different things, and and everybody has their own own purpose. And and together, like how we come here right now, we can make a beautiful impact. We we can reach we can reach a different uh, audience. You you are showing what's happening here in Colombia. So I think that's also amazing. Well, thank you. I'm going to make sure that this uh, this podcast gets there to some of my contacts in the Dutch community here. So there we go. Because, yes. you know, you guys are very, there's a great solidarity between the Dutch. You know, I think, I don't know, I don't know why, but the, you all feel very, very related. Uh, yeah. And that they know that you're from, I want to say it again, Friesen. Friesland. Friesland. <laughs> that they know you're yeah. from there. Again, it creates a whole different image. Imagine yeah. this poor Bogotana growing up in Friesland. <laughs> so it creates a different image. But listen, Andrea, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, of course, for the, the incredible work you're doing. Everyone, check out Mi Barrio, Mi Sueño. That's on all social media uh, outlets. But you can write at the website, www.volunteerincolumbia or volunteers volunteersincolumbia.com volunteers So check it out. Throw a couple of euros. Dollars, pounds, yen, whatever. It's all accepted. So thank you for your time. And listen, uh, you know, maybe one day I will I'll send you a message if I'm in Medellin and, and I come I'll come to La Onda. You should, you should. You're more than welcome. The children love it. They're always super happy when somebody's coming there. And I would yeah, with all the love, I would love to show you around there and to see what we are doing. Uh, thank you so much again. We've been talking to Andrea Gonzalez Duarte Vandeleu. 
Mi Barrio Mi Sueño, volunteers in Colombia.com. We've been talking about the projects that she's been helping well, I would say administer, set up, fund, and so on there in La Onda uh, Barrio Comuna, as they call them, in Medellin. So thank you again to her for talking about her upbringing, how she came to be at this point in her life here in Medellin. Uh, we'll be going over now some words from our sponsors here on the Columbia Calling podcast. But thank you again, everyone, for listening. Thank you to John Bryant, who gave me uh, Andrea's uh, name. And then I, I looked it up and said, yeah, there is a story to be told here. So of course you want to sponsor us. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Columbia calling. But without further ado, thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. So bye-bye. The Columbia calling podcast is sponsored by Latin news, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. The Columbia Calling Podcast is also proud to say that we are sponsored by BNB Columbia Tours, which is a leading tour operator in Colombia, providing a large range of private day tours, transportation and bespoke packages throughout Colombia since 2017. By popular demand, from January 2023, they will be providing exclusive small group shared tours for those aged 50 and over. If you're interested in experiencing one of their unforgettable journeys through Colombia, be it a shared tour with like-minded travelers or creating a private package of your own, just complete the form on the Columbia Calling website, that's columbiacalling.co, or the Plan My Trip form on the BNB Columbia Tours website, that's bnbcolumbia.com, and they'll be in touch within 24 hours to answer all your questions, and to start the planning of your Columbia adventure. So please support our sponsors, our patrons here on the Columbia Calling Podcast. That's bnbcolumbia.com and latinnews.com. Thank you again.